ready? Born ready. Hello, welcome to another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? I'm your host, Sava Long. Let's jump right in. We're going to go back to our regularly scheduled program this week. If you listened to last week's pod, you heard Nancy Flake Johnson, the president and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Atlanta. Great conversation about the State of Black Georgia report. If you missed it, go back and listen. Uh, Let's jump right in and talk about just quickly a recap of the Georgia General Assembly. Part one of two is done, the 2023 session. Here are some of the bills that we talked about that um, over the course of the session. These are the ones that did not make it through signy die, which is the last day of the session. So bills that failed. Expanding mental health care which a lot of folks were upset about that not getting through. Sports gambling, Keith, we talked a lot about that one. A school voucher program that would have given parents $6,500 to put their kids in a non-public school. $15 minimum wage. Cash bail expansion, that was one uh, that a lot of people were glad to see fail. An anti-Semitism bill. Another one, reclassifying a riot from a misdemeanor to a felony. And then setting a police vehicle, setting a police vehicle on fire as a felony that would be more severe than an arson charge. So those are all bills that failed. Some bills that passed. uh, A higher mandatory minimum for gang-related crimes. Dog fighting is now considered (laughs) gang-related. Yep. Prosecuting, uh, create the creation of a prosecuting attorney's oversight commission. We talked about this also in the pod that the whole point around this was to target progressive district attorneys and solicitors general. And then one good bill that passed uh, a $2,000 pay raise for teachers. So some of the bills that failed could come back next year in 2024. The session is a two year session because elected. The state reps and state senators are elected for two-year periods. So um, a couple things. Uh, Eric Bell, who's a younger millennial, I think Eric might be in his early 30s, something like that. He was sworn in as a state rep in Clayton County just a couple days before the session ended. So that's one more younger person in the session. And then on May 16th, there's going to be an election, a special election to fill the seat uh, House District 68, Representative Tish Nagis, uh, was un- she unexpectedly passed away on March 8th. She was one of five Nigerian Americans elected to the General Assembly this year. So there will be a special election to replace her seat. Um, and then one other, one other big thing around the session, every year they vote on the governor's budget. Uh, so this year's budget included 
a $66 million cut in state funding to the university system of Georgia. So here's what that means per institution. I'm just going to highlight a couple of the big ones. UGA, that's almost $12 million that they will not receive in the next fiscal year. Georgia Tech, just over 11 mil. Georgia State, just over 8 mil. And Clayton State, just under 1 million. The Chancellor, Sonny Perdue. Yes, that's Sonny Perdue, who was the former governor, <coughs> whose cousin is David Perdue, the former senator. Uh, he called the cuts, quote, deeply, a, a deeply disturbing outcome. Uh, but at the same time, the state also announced that the HOPE scholarship will now cover the full cost of tuition, not what it has been in the most recent years, which is a partial coverage of tuition. So that's good, but I don't know what's going to happen to these uh, these institutions as it relates to their budget and where do they, who gets squeezed in that cost-cutting measure. Uh, some big news. President Kemp will not be. If you listen to the pod, you know, we know what this, you know, we, we always joke about this. President Kemp is not going to happen, at least not in 2024. <laughs> so uh, Georgia, Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, announced that he is not going to run for president. Uh, but another former governor did announce that he will run, and that's Asa Hutchinson out of Arkansas. Uh, but as it relates to Georgia, one of the candidates who has not formally declared, but we everyone knows he's running, Ron DeSantis was in Cobb County last week. Uh, DeSantis is on the speaker circuit promoting his new book and obviously laying the groundwork for a presidential run. Um, I'm really curious to see what his announcement is going to look like. I got a feeling it's going to be a lot of pomp and circumstance. You know, this kind of feels like, you know, you're a kid and Christmas comes around and you pick out the gift, but you have to wait for it until Christmas Day. Like, this is what this feels like. We all know it's here. It's happening. Like, come on. Can you just hurry up and announce? So we know. Like, we already know. Uh, but anyway. My favorite part about DeSantis coming to Cobb County is that a group of pro-Trump folks also showed up uh, to show their adoration for the former president. Uh, Trump has already cut their first uh, attack ad aimed at Ron DeSantis. Take a listen to this. Think you know Ron DeSantis? Think again. In Congress, DeSantis voted three separate times to cut Social Security. That's right, three times over three years. Worse, DeSantis voted to cut Medicare two times. DeSantis even voted to raise the retirement age to 70. The more you learn about DeSantis, the more you see he doesn't share our values. He's just not ready to be president. Make America Great Again Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Doesn't that sound like an ad a Democrat would cut? Dang. Kind of interesting. Um, a new Quinnipiac poll released uh, before news of the Manhattan District Attorney's indictment of Trump. A few points here to highlight. 75% of Republicans say criminal charges should not disqualify Trump from running for president. However, 55% of independents say that it should disqualify him. 
62% of Americans think that the Manhattan DA's case is political. 58% of registered voters think Trump has a negative has had a negative impact on the Republican Party. 58% of registered voters. But 72% of Republicans say that Trump has had a positive impact on the party. And then 79% of Republicans say that they are supporters of the MAGA movement. Someone might want to tell Joe Biden that. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, I want to be very clear, very clear up front. <clears throat> not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. So, what happened? There was a MAGA movement that was separate from the GOP, and now it's all together there's no difference between the two i don't know this is um 79 republicans saying they support the maga movement that's that's striking so desantis he has a 36 percent favorability rating and 24 percent of those polled said they hadn't heard of him now to compare only four percent of those polled said they hadn't heard enough about biden and only two percent said that about trump so DeSantis has room to grow. And then, of course, so does Nikki Haley, who was at 53% of folks said that they don't know enough about her. Now, another name that might join the festivities is New Hampshire Governor uh, Chris Sununu. He was on Bill Maher's show over the weekend, and he all but announced, I mean, he basically said, I'm running for president, but didn't quite use those words. Uh, so who is he? We'll take a listen to Chris Sununu from about a month ago on Face the Nation, where he's talking about council culture and being a pro-choice Republican, not a phrase you hear often. But in our communities, where it is me versus you, whereas if you are not adhering to um, my ideals, then I'm going to cancel you out. It is us versus them. It's this bi binary where everything's a war. That's a cultural problem we have to fix in America, and it starts with good leadership, good messaging, more hopeful and optimistic, but government never solves a cultural problem. Okay, we can lead well, on it, but we never solve it. Interesting idea, but you are contradicted by the Republican governor of Arkansas who gave the response for your party after the State of the Union, who embraced culture war. She says America's in one. Uh, yes, she says it's being waged by the left wing, a woke mob that can't even tell you what a woman is. That's absolutely I mean, right. And th are you going to engage on things like this, like, like Sanders and DeSantis has in terms of issues on gender and issues of race? 
there should be absolute leadership on that about what that's about. And this idea that, you know, you have to, you know, we have forced language, that we have forced ideas on our kids, that we're going to force anything. So you are going to be a culture warrior. No, we have to talk about that, but it, it isn't the government's role to solve it. The government is not here to solve your problems. It's not. The government is here to create So a governor shouldn't doors. be actually talking and engaging and telling school boards and doing things like this or trying to pass laws like they are? I don't think governors should be trying to pass laws to subvert the will of the voters that know better than us. Voters are, know more than I do. The voters on that school board know. The voters in those towns know a lot more. And if that's the free market of politics. If they don't like the school board, they get they go to town meeting, they fire them. You, are, you call yourself a pro-choice Republican. You still have to win in a Republican primary. Is sure. there room for someone who calls himself a pro-choice Republican? Well, yeah, look, that issue is, look, that issue is going to change three different ways now that Dobbs has happened, right? States can decide what they want to do, right? So I think the definition of pro-life and pro-choice and pro-abortion are, are going to be very different because if you're a pro-life Republican, that's fine. That's As a governor, you can do that. You can ban it in your state and you can stay, stand behind those ideals. And maybe that's exactly what your state wants. No problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a pro-choice Republican in, in a very pro-choice state. But at the end of the day, you're going to have the pro-life over yeah. here, pro-abortion over here. And then the rest of us are, well, we have a 24-week ban and you have a 22-week yeah. and an 18-week ban. So the rest of us are kind of in this spectrum of debating about weeks. So that the whole conversation is going to change. We want to talk about... So Sununu is trying to position himself as a somewhat moderate Republican, I would say. Um, maybe a MAGA Republican without the so public culture war, anti this, anti that, that DeSantis and Trump um, kind of their point of view. Uh, he's polling at 1% uh, right now. I think this is a race between Trump and DeSantis, but that doesn't mean that it, that won't be the case come January. I don't know. We'll see. Keith, what did you think about him? <clears throat> I mean, uh, I see what he's trying to do. I would like to see a different type of Republican in the race, you know, uh, between DeSantis and Trump. It's just, man, this is this is horrible. Uh, so, so far, I mean, I like that part of it. I mean, he, at least he's a, a recognizing there is an issue with abortion, and he knows his base. So, in his state, if they want it, he can still be a Republican and be pro-choice. So, I think he'll be a voice for some of those Republicans, and maybe they'll rally. But, uh, I don't know. I really don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I, I feel like... Um I'm just trying to imagine a pro someone who's so publicly pro-choice being able to get out of a Republican primary. I mean, it's almost like a Democrat who's who says that they're pro-life. Like the ability for them to get out of a, a Democratic primary, I, I think, is nearly impossible. But the question is, what is going to be the priority from a communication standpoint in the 2024 election? Is it abortion and woke, in air quotes, stuff? Or is it going to be bread and butter issues? If it's bread and butter issues, maybe someone like Sununu has a shot. It, it just seems very prime for uh, Tim Scott if he wanted to. You know? Yeah. Like with all of this between that, it's like, well, Tim Scott would be the, what do they say? Oh, he uh, reminds me of Reagan. Mm -hmm. You know, and then bring that back and talk money, right? Economics. Uh, he's black, but he doesn't talk race, so you know it won't <laughs> cause 
a it's race like Nikki issue. Haley. Yeah, exactly. But Nikki Haley is very white presenting. So, right. You know, and like I said, they don't want a woman. That's that's the sad truth. You know. I don't know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, yeah, they'll let you stir it up. You know, it's like a Karen. You know, they're most of them be married. <laughs> you know, they let you stir it up, but are they gonna let you be in charge? Mm. No. No. Mm. Oh, we will see. Uh, 2024 is going to be, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a mess. And then there's crickets about what's happening on the Democratic side. I think they're just going to try to sneak in. (laughs) You know, it's like not safe. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's Biden. Right, right. Forgot about you guys. We're so worried about Trump and DeSantis. Right, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, a quick union update. We hadn't talked about this in a while. Uh, we're just going to center this conversation quickly around Starbucks. The former Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz, testified to the Senate Help Committee, which is the labor committee that uh, Bernie Sanders also happens to be the chair of. Um, the reason why Howard Schultz testified is they threatened to subpoena him if he did not testify. Uh, he also resigned from the CEO role like maybe a week or so before the, the scheduled hearing. So the whole thing was clearly in protest. It was pretty heated. Uh, Schultz was visibly annoyed. He interrupted. He talked over speakers. I don't know if you remember the Reclaiming My Time that, um, what's her name, did out of California. She's like, I'm reclaiming my time, the, the, the congresswoman. It felt like that, but the role reversed, right? Where he was like, no, I want to say blah, blah, blah. Um, so this was all about, this hearing was about Starbucks uh, and their efforts to stop workers from unionizing. Um, and it was clear that Howard Schultz sees this whole unionization effort as an affront to his leadership and his company ethos. I mean, if you think about, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, Starbucks and Howard Schultz was seen as kind of the compassionate CEO. He was very pro-people. He had he was one of the first CEOs to offer uh, certain benefits to employees who were not full-time 40 hours. They had this partnership with, I think it was like the University of Arizona or something like that around education. So, of course, he and Bernie got into it a good bit, but I thought the most interesting comment of the hearing was from Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts. Take a listen to this. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you for this important hearing. And Mr. Schultz, it's uh, good of you to show up, but then again, you face little choice. All across America, workers are saying that they've had enough rising inequality and outlandish CEO pay, for those at the top, like you, and a paycheck-to-paycheck subsistence for everyone else. The unionizing Starbucks workers are on the front lines as a groundswell of working and middle-class people who are banding together to assert their right to organize, form a union, and collectively bargain for their dignity. My father used to tell me that you can't beg for your rights, you have to tell them. He lost his finger in an industrial accident as a young man. There was no OSHA. He just said, the boss said, see you next week, John, back on the job. That was before unions. That was before rights were put on books. And ultimately, that's what Starbucks workers are doing. 
workers in Buffalo are the spark that's lit the fire of organizing its locations across the country, including 15 Starbucks locations in, Amer in Massachusetts. The American people are watching. Public support for unions hit a record high late last year with 71% of Americans approving of labor unions. So as you sit here denigrating your workers, you're not just morally and legally wrong, you're in the minority. You're out of touch. Union busting is disgusting. Perhaps because you think if you can hire the lawyers and pay the union busting consulting firms, you can get away with violating other people's rights, with disregarding their dignity, and with silencing working people in America. But here's the thing. If you can pay the lawyers and the consultants and the PR specialists, you can also pay the workers a fair wage. So you say that your father was unfairly fired after he was injured on the job. Your father had no rights, and your family paid the price. That is how your workers now feel. They have no rights. They don't want to be like your father, who had no rights. They don't want their families to have to pay the price for their children the way your father had to pay a price mm. for his children. Mm. They want rights. Mm. Your father couldn't protect himself. That's all your workers are looking for. Mm. So they can protect themselves and their families so that what happened to your family does not happen to their family. Mm. I don't think you understand that, Mr. Schultz. So if you don't know the Howard Schultz story, he talks about that he came from nothing, grew up in the projects. His father, you know, worked a blue collar job. Um, at one point in the hearing, he goes on this tangent about being upset as being labeled a billionaire uh, because he said he worked hard for his money. So what's going on here? So workers at unionized stores allegedly are being treated differently from than workers at non-unionized stores. One example uh, Starbucks allowed credit has started allowing credit card tipping, but it's not being allowed at stores that have unionized. And the average of having credit card tipping is raising their hourly salary by two to four dollars. So adding the ability to tip by credit card is the equivalent of a labor of your paycheck being two to four dollars more per hour. There are three unionized Starbucks stores in Metro Atlanta, Ansley Mall, Howell Mill, and then there's one in Alpharetta. There's also a unionized store in Augusta. One of the former employees at that store, a black man, actually testified in front of the Senate committee hearing, um, and he claims that he was fired for helping to lead the effort to unionize. So according to the National Labor Relations Board, Starbucks has gotten into trouble repeatedly for doing just that. And the NLRB has actually forced Starbucks to rehire some of the workers that they fired um, for, they use other excuses, but it was in retaliation for them unionizing. So they've even closed stores that have tried to unionize as well. And the latest tactic has been the refusal to bargain with unionized workers on Zoom. This is something we've covered a lot about in Atlanta Civic Circle of the workers at these stores trying to do the collective bargaining, but Starbucks not agreeing and coming to the table. Uh, these kind of tactics, they can and they do work. It scares other employees from considering 
unionizing is like, is it really worth all of this fight when I can just just shut up and do my job or maybe quit and go somewhere else? And of course, it's not just Starbucks, right? The tension between workers and employers is happening across the across industries and across businesses. We've talked a lot about Amazon. There's Dollar General, there's Trader Joe's, railroad companies. It's happening across the country. And now the big political fight is for funding for the NLRB. So this is something that will become more and more partisan. Republicans are accusing the NLRB uh, and people like Howard Schultz are accusing the NLRB of being too deferential to employees. But as there has been far more union activity, the budget and the capacity at NLRB has not increased. So did the hearing change anything? Did it move the needle in one direction or another? I would say probably not. I I think the people who are paying attention to this are continuing to do so, and I don't know how many people have learned something new uh, because of this hearing. This is one of those things that you've got to have you got to be so deliberate and consistent in the communication to get people to care about uh, the, the issue. Totally changing gears, something we haven't really talked about a lot on the pod, but a couple of things happened last week that I think it's worth now mentioning it. The future of AI. Um, so before I get there, why are people so concerned with ChatGPT? Well, On Valentine's Day, a New York Times reporter spent a couple of hours chatting with the bot, and it got kind of weird, right? In the end, the bot messaged the reporter that he didn't love his wife and that they'd had a bad Valentine's Day together. And then after this happened and the New York Times story comes out, the company behind ChatPT says, okay, we're going to institute a chat time limit. And then um, over the week, I think last week, perhaps, in I think in Brussels, an individual uh, died by suicide because of his the chatting that he did with the bot. And uh, the bot actually gave him like examples and resources to commit suicide, not to prevent the suicide. So what happened last week, in addition to what I just mentioned, Goldman Sachs announced that up to 300 million jobs will be lost due to generative AI like ChatGPT. So the jobs will be lost, but the annual GDP of the countries and of the businesses will grow. Those are, this is uh, the predictions of Goldman Sachs. Now, academic research shows that automation is the primary reason for income inequality over the past 40 years. And a note from the report, the real earnings of men without a high school degree are now 15% lower than they were in 1980. That is staggering. So if you think about like why, like what's going on in society and what's going on with men, the rise of incels, the rise of all these types of things, this is a primary reason for it. The other big thing is there was an open letter from the Future of Life Institute calling for a six-month pause on AI tech. And I'm going to read uh, a note or part of the sentences here from the uh, letter. Contemporary AI systems are now becoming human competitive at general tasks. 
And we must ask ourselves, should we let machines flood our information channels with propaganda and untruth? Should we automate away all the jobs, including the fulfilling ones? Should we develop non-human minds that might eventually outnumber, outsmart, obsolete, and replace us? Should we risk loss of, of control of our civilization? Such decisions must not be delegated to unelected tech leaders. That's one part of the letter. Which, when I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, this last line about who, who should these decisions be delegated to? I, I think the right or wrong, but I think the average American trusts a tech leader over Congress. Right? <clears throat> yeah, because the average person chooses the tech leader in a sense. You know, politics sometimes you don't feel like you have a choice even though you vote, but like you can choose to not use Twitter. I and see. Use Facebook. Yeah. And use, you know, you can choose to not use AI. Right. You know, you right. have choices. So, yeah, I think so. I think so. And because it's, it's analytics, you know, it's, it's there are there are other people who can learn from this. So I think that uh, I I don't think that part is what you have to worry about. I think it's the government interfering with the tech leaders. Well, I I think. According to this letter, that's basically what they're asking for. Um, and then the other part that made me, I thought about is, man, how do I become an AI lobbyist? Because those jokers are about to make a buttload of money, stacks on stacks. Um, another part of the letter, and I quote here, we call on all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months the trainings of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. This pause should be public and verifiable and include all key actors. If such a pause cannot be enacted quickly, governments should step in and institute a moratorium. Really fascinating. So, I mean, they're basically begging and pleading for the government to get involved. This has already happened to some degree, Italy uh, just announced a temporary ban on ChatBT, but it's on the basis that it violates the country's policies on data collection. So there was a data breach uh, last month that might have exposed folks' personal data, including their credit card billing info. And that's the reason, at least that's what they're saying, is the reason for the temporary ban uh, in Italy. Um, and then the Center for AI and Digital Policy has asked the Federal Trade Commission to stop future releases of OpenAI slash ChatGPT until regulations are established. So to this letter, some uh, significant names signed on to this letter, Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, who's the co-founder of Apple, Andrew Yang, um, and then a lot of tech scientists, people in academia. So should there be a pause? I mean, that's a question you can pause, but then what happens during the pause? What's, what's happening in that six-month period? And then what's to stop a company from secretly continuing to do the work, right? Okay, I'm paused. We're not doing anything. <laughs> and then behind the, you know, behind the scenes, the work is continued. And not just them, anybody with a computer. You know, the code is out there. It's not, you know, a private piece. Like, people are developing their own forms of AI, so. 
there's not going to be a halt. There's it's a race now. Right. You know? I think that um, if anything, the most important thing about this and all of tech is diversity, is to make sure um, you put all different types of biases. Oh, in. I'm going to get to that in just a second. There you go. <laughs> um, chat GPT and other AI, I think, can and perhaps will be used as a way to divide us. And it's already happening on partisan lenses. So the Heritage Foundation, which is a extraordinarily conservative group, uh, their tech researcher said that it is impossible for any artificial software to be politically neutral. And he argues that OpenAI has overcorrected on this partisan and that they really favor the left perspective. And he says, now we are seeing results that won't even touch on conservative issues or approach the conservative worldview. So that's just on the partisan lens. Uh, years ago, there was, I think it was Microsoft or Google, I can't remember, one of the companies was working on something very similar. And the bot um, used racial slurs, right? And they shut it down. Um, this whole conversation reminds me of one of the best shows on TV. Take a listen to this. What is real? That which is irreplaceable. It doesn't seem to satisfy you. Because it's not completely honest. <laughs> you... Uh, you... frighten me sometimes, Dolores. Why on earth would you ever be frightened of me? Not of who you are now, but you're growing, learning so quickly. I'm frightened of what you might become. For the uninitiated, that was from Westworld. Um, but good grief. I mean, it, that's what it feels like we are moving closer and closer towards. Um, I don't know. I'm, I know there's plenty of benefits, and I promise I'm not a Luddite, but I'm, I know there will be plenty of benefits to AI. But if you think about social media and the conversation about how social media has impacted our society, yes, there have been tremendous positive benefits. But there have also been negative uh, downsides of social. When we're still early enough in the AI conversation, it seems like now would be the time to address what might be the negative um, impacts of AI. But before things get to the point where we're having congressional hearings about a social media site that has, you know, damage the minds of thousands and millions of young people because their self-esteem is wrapped up into 
what they see on their phone. Just as one example. I mean, well, that's one side. The other side is the information that the AI is receiving. Um, and then, you know, you can have your own deductions from that. <laughs> you know, that's how I think people fall in their political lines. And, um, you know, I, I asked Chat GPT, you know, what, what do you need to do? And it says it's giving you four things to uh, mitigate the negative effects of AI on jobs. And the AI is telling you <laughs> to reskill yourself and adapt to new technologies mm-hmm. to encourage lifelong learning mm-hmm. and continuous education. I think that's something that needs kind of stop. Uh, number three, foster a development of AI technologies that augment human labor rather than replace it. And uh, implement policies and safety nets to support workers in transition. Mm. So, like, if an AI model <laughs> could the say AI that, is telling you what to do, Congress. You know, I mean, I also asked it how it would lobby individuals in Congress, but that, that just got deep. <laughs> like, what did it say? I mean, it went through, like, a whole plan of, like, they would get a coalition. They would organize their objectives. It's like a five-step plan that they would take. So what happens when the AI lobbies Congress? <laughs> oh, man. All right, on to party poopers and party starters. Want her go around singing the party pooper song? Every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. <laughs> party pooper. Um, so this party pooper, it's just one of those stories that just irks me. It just, it just really irks me. So the Bartow County school system announced that kids whose families owe $25 or more for their school lunch will be given an alternate meal, which I don't know what the alternate meal is, but I guess it's cheaper than the regular meal. So the district said that federal funding, this was in in Love and Alive article, federal funding that allowed for free meals has dried up and the district's hands are tied. It said that they've tried to make several attempts to let families know about the need to resolve student uh, school lunch debt and that it offered an eight-month grace period to families. And they're also encouraging families to apply for free and reduced lunch. I, I don't know how many kids are being impacted by this, but why do you need to give the kid an alternate meal? Like, what are you really accomplishing there? And I'm assuming the alternate meal is not going to be as nutritionally sufficient as the other meal. I ain't going to lie, though. They've been doing that for a long time. Really? Yeah, I remember that when I was in school. Like, if you didn't have your money or you owed money or somehow you was, you know, bring your home, bring your lunch kind of student but forgot one, they had a free alternative lunch to the free lunch. It was like two peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Something very... Basic yeah. and like you said, embarrassing, right? Because right. you can see what it is. And I wondered, does this have something to do with uh, lunchables just being passed? Oh, uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I don't know. So but... I wonder when they just start giving you the lunchables as the alternative. Because I saw them, like they legit saying lunchables counts yeah. as a, it's like, it's not a meal. It's not a meal, it's <laughs> a snack. So yeah, that's sad. That's sad. Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't understand why we can't 
yes, it will cost more. But can we please just make sure that kids have at least two good meals in the course of a day? And then the root problem is why can't these parents afford lunch in the first place? What is it like in their homes? And if it's $25, like, come on. Like, you could at least let the bill get higher. $25? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much the school lunch is, but I'm guessing it's like school lunch three, is like th- is like three twenty. My kids, it's like three dollars and twenty cents, and it's like eighty cents on a reduced and you know free. Yeah. So like twenty five, that sounds like you missed two months, and it's like nah, at least let me get the whole semester. You know, like at least mm-hmm. at the end of the semester, hey, you know. Because if you don't have twenty five, you're not gonna have seventy five. Crazy. That's that's probably their rationale. Come on, Kim. Let's use some of that surplus money. Hey. That part. Um, all right. <laughs> He's not gonna be president anymore, so I don't know. I know he listens to the pod. <laughs> he had to say something like y'all quit right. putting that out there. Right. Um, all right, on to party starter. Everybody, let's go. I I don't know. I have possibly two very different ones. Oh, I guess I'll do the the lighter version first. The first one I'll say is John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania who um, took a how long was the break? Like six weeks or something like that, uh, and checked himself into a hospital for mental health um, after he'd had that stroke. So he's coming back to the Senate. I think in like two weeks or something like that. It's like the ball. It's the ball head guy, right? The, yeah, the tall ball headed. Yeah, yeah, tall ball headed guy. Um, and there was a lot of pushback of like, how can you be a senator and take this mental health break and, yeah. you know, or is he being soft? You know, just there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation about mm-hmm. it. Um, but my other party starter is Trump, President Trump, former <coughs> President Trump. Because this dude has been indicted. They've, this is the first, I think, of many indictments. But this particular indictment has earned him, I think he said they've raised about $4 million so far off of this indictment. And 25% of the funds raised were from new donors. So people who had never donated to Trump, didn't donate for the 16 campaign, didn't donate for the 2020 campaign. Um, I, I think the Republican Party is standing behind him, and we'll see what comes out. But for now, he's a party starter. Man, like, <laughs> Trump is like Joker. Yeah. Like, he's like the Joker, man. He's it like doesn't not, matter. It doesn't matter. But he's he said going, it. He's not going anywhere, Yeah, and Batman won't kill him. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the other thing. I mean, he said, I could shoot someone. In the middle of Fifth Avenue, and y'all still vote for me. So, hey man, I, I and I think with the, yeah, yeah, ready for next week's episode. Ready to see what happens this week. I know. Yeah, we're take yeah. yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, y'all. That is today's show. This week's episode, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to your favorite political podcast where the party at next week there will certainly be fireworks i'm sure related to trump related to who 
knows what else. Maybe we'll find out if Atlanta gets the DNC convention next week. I don't know. We'll see. Um, hopefully nothing, no drama happens with Cop City. I don't know. You just, you know, in Atlanta, there are no snow, no slow news days. There's always something happening. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, have a good one.